As you are, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Uh, older children, you have red folders in the back with sermon notes, and younger children, you are welcome to meet your teachers in the back, uh, though they can also stay with us as they like, as they head to where they're going. Uh, I'm going to take a moment to pray for them, to pray for us. Uh, before I do, I see lots of visitors. Um, let me just say a, a word on how how we handle preaching at this church. We The way we do it most often is what's called expositionally. That means we start with a book, in this case Colossians. We start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we go until we're done with the book. Uh, so that'll make more sense once we start reading the text. Uh, but for now, let me pray for our children, pray for us as we hear God's word. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is true, it is good, it is profitable for correction, for reproof, for training, and it is necessary in order for us to be complete. Help us to cherish it so. Help us to see the one to whom all the scripture points, and that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And let us hope, trust, and live in him just as we have received. We do pray this in his name. Hear now God's word for his people, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18, going all the way through the first verse of chapter 4. Paul starts, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything. That is supposed to say bondservants, I didn't change it. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants, not slaves, justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the truth, the gospel. Thanks be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so I'm going I'm to have a little bit of an extended intro because, as you can tell, there are some things that I think need to be uh, addressed right from the get-go. Uh, I want to acknowledge the difficulty, first of all, that a text like this almost inherently brings. My hope is that in addressing some of these right away, we will be better prepared to hear the good news of the gospel from this text. There is good news here. The first thing I want to address is how much I can't address. This, this is a text loaded with things that, that each require a, a full few hours to explain fully. So, because my goal is to point you to Christ, I can't possibly address all of these important but secondary issues with the attention they deserve. So if you have questions, please come see me. 
please come see one of the elders. We can set up an appointment with us or and or our wives if that's more comfortable for you. Um, but please, if you have questions, don't just leave with them. Please ask them, bring them, and we can talk through them. Uh, the second thing I want to address is the effect sin has on a text like this. We should be able to read a text about husbands and wives mutually submitting and loving one another without any difficulty. We should be able to talk about children obeying their parents and parents parenting their children lovingly without any sort of qualification. We should be able to talk about bond servants, which is the correct translation in this case. When we think of slaves, we have all sorts of connotations that, that Paul did not have when he translates that word. We should be able to talk about that without having to address the demeaning practices that have gone on in the past and are going on in the present as regards servanthood and slavery. So I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that those are real things. I see you, the Lord sees you, the Lord knows the struggles of your heart, and there is good news for you and for those who are in those kinds of situations. So now jumping to the text, why is this text here? As I look at this letter in Colossians, I'm struck by how quickly we can go from the absolute stratosphere of theology, talking about the preeminent Christ and his death and resurrection, and then talk about the very practical matters of what it means to live that out. You can't spend too much time in theology without getting into how to live that out. That is proper theology. And so last week, we saw in theological terms what it meant for Paul to tell us to put off the old man with its sinful practices and to put on Jesus and all that it means to live out the gospel of Jesus. But now, this week, he tells us practically what that looks like, how it affects every area of life, even down to how we relate to one another. Uh, because this is the way my brain works, I immediately thought of Tolkien's Hobbit, Bilbo, the, the OG Hobbit. Uh, he, there he was, living you know, quiet, peaceful life in his little hole, as hobbits do. And then all of a sudden, this wizard comes in with 13 dwarves to accompany Bilbo on this great journey. I'll spare you the extended, uh, what is it, eight hours and 52 minutes of all three movies to just tell you this. After that great journey, Bilbo didn't just come back and start living the life he was always living. Everything changed that. From that moment on, none of his relationships were the same. The things he saw and experienced changed him at a fundamental level. He spoke differently. He carried himself differently. And he related to others differently. And Paul is making a similar point here. We have been ransomed and raised with Christ. Therefore, not only do our Sundays change, everything changes. The way we talk, the way we carry ourselves, and even down to how we relate to one another at our most basic relationships. So, though Paul addresses specific groups of people, wives, husbands, children, parents, servants, and their masters, this really applies to how all of us relate to all of us. This really uh, 
It relates to it relates to all of us because no matter what kind of relationship we're in, we're either and in a in a position where we need to exercise authority or respond to authority. And because Christ is over relationships, we're going to look at these two things: the Christian responding to authority, number one, and number two, the Christian exercising authority. Let's jump right in. In, in Paul's time, this, some of the difficulty we're having is we're 2,000 years removed from this text. In Paul's time, the household looked very differently than what it looks now. The, the husband, the man of the house, was in many cases a tyrant. He had absolute power. He, he held the power of life and death over his wife, his children, and any who were in his service service as servants. The typical Roman home was not one of mutual love and submission. It was not one where the children uh, respectfully obeyed their parents. No, they, they obeyed out of fear. Wives, children, and servants lived in fear of the man. And it's into that situation that Paul writes these words that we've just seen. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in everything. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your masters. How can the Colossians do this when they are surrounded by a family culture that is so different? And I would ask you the same question. How can you obey what Paul is commanding us to do in the Lord in a culture that is surrounded by something that is so different? I would answer because, and this is absolutely crucial for understanding this text, we are not primarily responding to earthly authority. We are responding to the God-given authority, and therefore, we're responding to God himself. Look at these verses in their appropriate context. Look at the ending of each one of these verses. Verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, fearing the Lord. Everything is done in the Lord. Um, I like to cook, uh, but I, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I, I watch cooking shows to kind of <clears throat> learn some things. Um, I've learned that larger restaurants have like a, like a hierarchy. It's like a really cool system. You know, you have uh, sometimes an executive set, a chef, but you always have a head chef. Then you have sous chefs, uh, deputy chefs. And then very often in larger restaurants, you have station chefs. You have like a guy that's just in charge of making soups or sauces. Uh, or in this case, vegetables, like cutting up vegetables. Well, uh, on this one show, uh, one of the station chefs, refused to cut the vegetables in the way that the sous chef had requested. So in typical TV drama format, a loud argument ensued, right? They were yelling at each other, screaming from across the kitchen. In a real kitchen, that station chef would have been fired on the spot, but for the sake of TV and keeping up the drama, they were arguing, and the head chef from across the kitchen heard what was going on, and he came over. And after hearing the reason for the argument, he said something to the vegetable chef, the station chef, that I think applies here. 
said, when you refuse the instruction of one of my sous chefs, you're refusing my instruction. When you refuse Christian to respond properly to authority, we are not just refusing the authority of the person in front of us, we are refusing the authority of the one who put them there. We are actually responding to the God who put these authorities in place. Now, remember, sin complicates things, but let's remember that. That's why I started with that. God does not want wives submitting to their abusive husbands, only as is fitting in the Lord. The Holy Spirit does not want children robbing banks because their parents told them to. No, you're supposed to please the Lord in how you obey. You do not obey a government when that government is telling you to disobey God. There's a qualifier of pleasing and fearing the Lord. The question for us is this. What is our hesitancy to joyfully respond to authority when that is not the case? Why do we hesitate to respond to good and natural authority? I'd love for us to meditate on that as a church throughout this week. What is our hesitance to submit and obey properly? There may be, as we've already addressed, and as one author put it, environmental factors. Maybe you've been harmed by abusive and selfish leadership, and so you're hesitant to put yourself in harm's way again. That's not pride. That's not stubbornness. That's, that's trauma. And if this is you, God, the gospel is, is rife with the heart of the Lord. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. The Lord understands. That's why he writes in places like Psalm 91 that he will cover you. He will cover you with his pinions. That's the, the outer, outer part of a bird's wings. He will cover you. Under his wings you will find refuge, faithfulness, and shield. But in this context, Paul is primarily addressing a hesitancy that comes not from outside but from within. We, we can believe wrongly that submitting and obeying is demeaning. Our pride can get in the way when we think that we should be in charge. We should be giving the orders, not following them. What is the solution to this kind of internal sin? I, I think of another letter Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. As we just confessed, speaking of Jesus, Paul describes him as one who, though he was in the form of God, Though he had all the qualifications of God, though he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, humbled himself, by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. We, we do not consider and weigh our responses to authority because we are less than them. That's not the nature of authority. Rather, we follow Christ's example. He was no less than God, and yet he submitted himself to the Father's will. But of course, the good news of the gospel is not simply that Jesus is your example, but rather, as Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, just a few verses earlier, he commands us, on account of the fact that we've been raised with Christ, to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? What's the reason that he gives? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
We don't just look to Jesus as our example, trying to find motivation and inspiration to obey. We rest. We rejoice in the fact that we are already united to Him, that our lives are already hidden with Him. And so, in His strength, we can do as He has done. We can submit as He has done. We can obey as He has done. We can respond humbly and joyfully to the authorities that God Himself has put in place. Another way Paul describes this is in another letter, Philippians, one more time. He commands you and I, believer, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to count others even more significant than you count yourself. We are to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do you do this, preacher? You have this mind, verse 5. You have this mind among yourselves. That's a command, right? Have this mind. How do I do it? Here's the enablement. It is already yours in Christ Jesus. God is commanding us to do something, and he's also given us everything we need to do that command. Or as Paul said earlier in Colossians chapter 2, as you have received Christ, so walk. Christian, everything you need to respond to authority properly, whether it's in the family, the workplace, the government, whether that authority is competent, mean, or even out to get you, everything you need to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus is already yours. The Jesus who is over relationship. But that's not the only thing that Paul talks about here. He doesn't just talk about responding to authority because as much as we are under authority, we are also in authority. We are also called to exercise authority, whether we are parents, teachers, managers, captain of a sports team, an informal leader. We all have our own sphere of authority. In fact, the very first command in all of Scripture is Genesis chapter 1, and it includes the command to subdue the earth and have dominion over all the creatures. But the question for us is this. How do we exercise? How do we exercise the authority we've been given in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We do much the same as we've already discussed. First, you remember that God is ultimately in control. Our authority is not absolute. Any authority we have has been given to us by Him, and we are ultimately responsible to Him. I think the most Glaring example is we find in Hebrews chapter 13. In this beautiful letter, all about the supremacy of Christ, Paul says to the church of church leaders, that church leaders, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. We, we do not simply exercise authority. We do not simply abuse our power. We do not simply joy in dominating over people, we, we watch over souls as those who will have to give an account. And that principle extends to any sort of leadership, any sort of authority, because we will all have to give an account. If I can, if I can take you back to the uh, TV kitchen show for a moment, um, if you remember, the head chef tells the station chef, 
the one refusing instructions, that when he disobeys the sous chef, the one who is over him in authority, he is in turn disobeying the one who is over him, the one who is ultimately in charge, the head chef. But that's not where that particular episode ended. Uh, after the head chef told the station chef what he needed to tell him, he then turns to the sous chef and he says this. He says, remember who you represent here. That's my name on the door. Don't be getting into silly arguments and trying to throw your weight around. I'm still in charge here. Now, God doesn't speak to us quite so harshly, but the principle remains. The reason the station chef should obey the sous chef is the same reason the sous chef should exercise his authority wisely and humbly. They are both under the head. Chef. It reminds me of how Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Though he writes, the head of the wife is her husband, he first writes that the head, not of the husband, of every man, the head of every man is Christ. We are all under the authority of Christ. So when we are exercising authority, whether we are the boss, the supervisor, or the project manager, God is ultimately in authority. We may be the older sibling, the babysitter, the parent, but God is ultimately in authority. We may be the teacher, the coach, the church officer, but God is ultimately the head. And so in light of that, in light of that sobering truth, what should our exercising of authority look like? How do we parent? How do we teach? How are we employees? How should we be husbands? Well, these three verses, the ones that probably give us more difficulty, have three partner verses. Here's the first one. We've already read verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. When we exercise authority, we should do so in love. That is not harsh. And if you're sitting here thinking, I'm not married, I'm not a husband, you're right, but this extends. Teachers, love your students. Don't be harsh with them. Coaches, love your players. Don't be harsh with them. The next verse, verse 20, where children are commanded to obey their parents. The partner command, the twin command, is to the ones in authority. Fathers, and by the way, this is, if you spoke Spanish, this would be much more natural to you, but this is not, this is not like male fathers. This is like parents. This is not like only fathers pay attention and mothers go to sleep during this portion of the sermon. This is, this is fathers, parents, mothers, and fathers. Do not provoke your children. So again, you might be thinking, I don't have kids yet. You're right, but you might be babysitting. You might be coaching. You might tutor. You might be a project manager. Do not provoke those under your authority. But I think this idea of the one who is above us in authority is most evident in our last example. Bond servants, verse 22. Obey your earthly masters. And 
Masters, who have complete authority over their servants, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Why? Because you know the truth. You know that you and they have an ultimate master in heaven. When we exercise authority, we are representing the one who has given us that authority. It's in his name. It's his name that's on the door, so to speak. And when we are unjust, when we are unfair, we are misrepresenting who God is and what he is like. That's what's at stake. Not just broken relationships. This is the gospel. We are representing Christ with everything that we do and everything that we say. And so how do we do that faithfully? How do we represent God faithfully as we exercise the authority he's given us? We do it, hopefully this is no surprise, with love. Nobody is surprised we went there, right? Okay, good, good. That was the easiest part of the sermon, I guarantee you. Jesus, if you remember, summarized literally the entire scripture in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you have, your heart, your soul, your mind. But there was a partner command. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Are those just two random commands? No. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That was a shorthand way of saying all of the Old Testament, which is a shorthand way of saying all of Scripture, because that's all of the Scripture that exists at the time. The entire Bible points to love God, love your neighbor. And remember, one of the things we do at this church is we define our terms. What's love? What is love? And I'm sure you're thinking of some song lyrics right now, but Paul defines it in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never ends. I'm sure you've heard this at weddings. It's not inappropriate. But romantic love is not what Paul had in mind here. This is sandwiched in between two chapters in 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the gifts given to the church. This is brotherly love for the interest of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is whom, that is to whom you showed us love. This doctrine of love is not only at the heart of 1 Corinthians and Colossians, but all of Scripture, and it has to dominate the way that we think of authority, the way that we think of exercising authority. The love that we have been shown by God enables us to take off prideful leadership. Leadership that is centered on what I can get, elevating myself at the expense of others. It ha- you have to take that off and you put on self-sacrificing love, gentle, compassionate love towards others, even those under our authority. It is a love that can submit and not be harsh. 
It's a love that can obey and not provoke. It is a love that can work hard when nobody is looking and treat those under you just fairly. This is the example of Jesus. And it's why Paul specifically mentions Jesus in a passage in Ephesians chapter 5. Here he also tells husbands to love their wives, but he gives a reason. You love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When we exercise authority as Christ has authority over the church, we must do so with the kind of self-sacrificing love with which Jesus loved his bride, the church. And that love is a love that's willing to die. But the point, and I, and I want to drive this home as we conclude, the point is not, Christian, to show you how great Christ is and how unloving you are by comparison. That's the gospel of guilt, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The point is to remind you of the fact that you have everything you need to exercise authority in love. Because as Paul has already said in Colossians chapter 2, as you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, Walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in faith. So as we conclude, I'm just going to ask you to consider this Jesus that you have received. Consider what you know. Consider how he suffered. And therefore, he knows the pain of suffering under poor leadership. If you have or are suffering under poor leadership, Sinful leadership. Jesus knows what you're going through. Consider how Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, including the sins of prideful rebellion against authority and mistreatment of those under your authority. Both of those, both of those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no lost cause when it comes to the gospel. Jesus Christ, if we really believe who he is who he is, if we really believe he is the preeminent one, then we believe that no sin is too great for the cross. Amen? Amen? Okay, come on. That's like heart of the gospel kind of stuff there. Come on. But mostly I would ask you to consider the power of the gospel. The reason that we can obey the, we, the reason that we can submit and obey, the reason that we can exercise our authority in a way that is loving and gentle, is because in the gospel, Jesus has taken away any reason we have for not obeying, not submitting, not exercising our authority right. We want to exercise poor leadership because we think that's what we need to satisfy ourselves. We, need, we think we need to elevate ourselves, but what has Jesus told us in the gospel? You are in me. And just as I was exalted, capital E, so you will be exalted, lowercase e. You have everything you need in me. Just as Christ, uh, any reason we might have for not submitting to proper authority, we're not talking about sinful abuse of authority. Any reason we might have for not submitting to obeying proper authority, think about it. 
It's because we we have pride. We think we can do better than those who are in authority. And Jesus Christ, he has taken that away. He has taken any reason we might have for not responding properly to authority and given us every reason to respond properly. And so as we're about to sing in a moment, let me remind you of the truth that Jesus is the one who has his foes lying crushed beneath us. He is the conqueror who has risen. And in his victory, in his victory march, we will continue day after day until every heart and eye shall see. And so we run this race with this in mind. We respond to authority and exercise our authority with the goal of showing others what a great Savior we serve and we love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the reminder that anyone in authority, either others in our lives or us ourselves, is there because you have put them. Thank you for the good news of the reminder that you are sovereign, you are in control, there is nothing that escapes your sight, your knowledge. And so there is hope for anyone who is suffering, anyone who is hesitant to obey your commands and respond properly to it. Thank you that we have hope in the gospel for, for those of us who have been in sin, been in rebellion against your commands to respond properly or exercise properly our authority. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you that the gospel is so pervasive that it even includes how we relate to one another. So Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that nobody leave with uh, primarily a sense of guilt over how they disobeyed, but that they would leave with the sweet balm of the gospel in light of that guilt. That though we have sinned, though we have fallen short, Christ Jesus, our Lord, is Lord. He is our authority. He is the one who enables us to respond to authority and exercise our authority.